Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Welcome to my official author podcast. My name is Dr. Jennifer Lowry, and today I have a special challenge for all of you guys. Okay, so this one was inspired by my friend Anne. We were connecting on the podcast yesterday, and I love, love having interviews with authors because I learned so much, and that means that you guys can learn too. Um, Trust me, you get a journal in hand, go back and listen to Miss Ann because she was dropping so much information in that podcast. I was taking notes. I was Googling um, as we were talking of things for me to continue to research and learn about and connect with. Um, But there was something very special that I think happened. And I don't know if you guys caught it, but it stayed with me. So small things may resonate with me in unique ways, especially when I know that the presence of the Lord um, is there. And at the very beginning of the podcast, you could hear the sounds. Hear them so vividly. I'm talking, she's talking, and I just felt like, you know, thank you, Lord not only for giving me this opportunity to interview her, but thank you for being there. And it was because you could hear the sounds of nature. The chimes were tinkling. And so then I'm imagining the wind, you know, the breeze picking up. You could clearly hear the birds. It was so beautiful. And here I am, you know, stuck sitting in her room and it felt like I was playing you know those nature sound recordings (laughs) because it was like that vivid to me to my senses and it started connecting me not only to Anne but to the Lord and that was at the very beginning of the show you know and I made a comment about you know the sounds, you know, and how you can't apologize for those. Those, That's the Lord. You can't apologize for the sounds of a child. That's the Lord. You know, the Lord is everywhere. And so your challenge today is to go back to this grand old discussion that we often have in writing communities and amongst ourselves as authors or just what we may battle And it's the whole show, not tell. And so today I want to give you some tips on how you can move away from the telling and be more descriptive in your showmanship. And I want to tell you to step out into nature in order to do this challenge. 
I think about when I'm out. So with me living close to the city, I do have opportunities to have parks. And that's something that I love. I love going to parks. Um, I love taking walks. I love fishing. I love being outdoors. And so the spring is coming. And I'm telling you guys, when I stepped out on Saturday for us to go Goodwill hunting, which I'm going to tell you about, <laughs> so probably not riding related. Um, but when I went Goodwill hunting with the kids, we stepped out and we were like, wow, feel that. It's getting better. It's getting it's getting warmer out. We're going to be able to start fishing. And then on Sunday, it really felt nice out. And we all looked at each other. And I'm like, do you guys know what that means? And the boys were like, fishing. And so on the way to church, we were looking at the weather. And of course, they were calling for a 50% chance of rain by one o'clock and so we were like well if we go by and we get the worms and it's raining oh well we're not gonna fish and it was already muddy you could tell that it had had a pretty good downpour the night before so we decided to scratch those plans and say well you know let's just be thankful that it's coming and now I'm sitting at 30 degrees as I'm on my way to work so that lets you know how the North Carolina weather is but just knowing that the time is coming there's an excitement in the air for me it's almost palpable like it's right there and I can grab the warmth and the feelings of joy that I feel when I'm out in nature and, and it was simulated I guess yesterday I had my my VR experience when I'm on the phone with Ann and we're recording for the podcast and the chimes are tinkling and the birds are you know singing their songs and I'm going Lord it's coming and so your challenge is on the next best day and, and so I know that our weather conditions uh, may not be conducive for you to have this calendar um, today for you to put this down as your short-term goal but your challenge is to go out into the world and find yourself the closest park to you or if you're lucky enough to live on a farm or live in the country find the the closest dirt road to you or just the closest patch of land to you <laughs> or you know whatever that you have you know I used to be able to you know step outside and you know be on my front porch swing and you know be surrounded by azaleas and bees popping everywhere and I could just stare at the dogwood for hours guys I'm telling you I love being out and it's to capture the sounds the feelings the smells capture them all capture that And so if you say, well, there is no way that, you know, I can do that. I don't have an opportunity, you know, to go to a park. We don't have anything near us. Like, well, with Raleigh, we have a lot of the state park systems that I love. So if you don't, if you don't have 
you know, state park systems or if you can't go into your backyard or if you can't be on your front porch like I long to be, then I want you to go and capture sounds from other people. Now, there's a scene that I have in the book, and it's a mall scene. And it's the first time that my main character has actually stepped foot in a mall. And you guys go, come on, that cannot happen in today's world. Well, I'm letting you know straight up, oh, yes, it can. And imagine a character stepping foot into a place that they have never seen before and how overwhelming a mall might be and you you know you're used to the small confines of a shed or seeing the walls of classrooms from different classrooms across the state because you're traveling all the time but you've never been into a mall and so those experiences they have to be you know shown like you've got to be able to capture all of that coming at them at once and so if you're not able to go out in nature and do a collection of sounds and a collection of thoughts and emotions and feelings and, and everything all wrapped up into your heart Find a close store and observe. Now, I'm telling you, my daddy, we used to go to the laundromat because they had a big daddy rabbit machine. And y'all, that's what it's called, a big daddy rabbit. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and it's this huge washing machine and dryer system that they had. And my mama would make my daddy go there and put the towels in and the sheets and the comforters. And she would make him wash the big quilts and everything because she was scared that it would tear up her machine if she put the big, the big items in there. And I can't tell you how much I love to go to the laundromat with my daddy because my daddy, he would strike up a conversation with anybody I'm talking anybody, I, you know, my daddy had that gift for gab, and unlike me, you know, I would sit and observe, <laughs> my daddy would talk to strangers, <laughs> so it was really hard to model that, don't talk to strangers, dear, they never told me that, because I probably, they knew I'd be too timid to do so, <laughs> but, but daddy was talking to everybody, so when I would go to laundromat, this would be a wonderful place for me to observe the human interaction to capture facial expressions, to capture weight on shoulders, to capture children. That, you know, their interactions with their families. And it would get me out of my little world and put me right in the middle of a laundromat where all things can happen and stories can go wild. And so when it was time for me to write the mall experience, the mall experience reminded me of my daddy because my daddy was disabled and he was a veteran and he had went through Agent Orange in Vietnam. And he also did testing 
when they did the nuclear testing. And my daddy had difficulties with walking. And so when we would go to the mall, he would find him a park bench and he would observe. And people would sit beside him. I'll glory be to them because then they were just going to have them grand old conversation with my daddy. But if we would be coming out of the stores, my daddy's mouth would be moving, y'all, and there wouldn't be nobody sitting there. He would just kind of be mumbling to himself, and I'd be like, Daddy, what you doing? He's like, I'm just watching people. I'm people watching. Y'all go on about y'all's way. Go shop. And I think that maybe I picked up on those patterns really early that not only was my daddy an observer of the world, when he could interact with it, he would, but he was a keen observer, and he would take it all in. And so, putting myself in a mall scene and imagining that that was her first time, you know, what is she seeing? She's seeing more cell phone interaction than human interaction, and she doesn't understand it. She doesn't get that, you know, there's a mother walking through a mall looking like she's, you know, dragging a kid along with her hand. But she's on the phone, animated in a conversation, but she's not engaged with her child. And she sees the phones everywhere. She sees the lack of human interaction in today's world, even in a mall. And she sees, of course, the colors and the light reflecting in the windows everywhere. And just the, where are the trees? And so she sees things in a different way than maybe, you know people that have been born and raised around in a mall, they might not think about the land developing and, and you know, there's more trees to cut down for this. All of this space for what? All of this massive. And you say, well, everyone's been to a mall. Well, I will tell you, malls have escalators. There, there, there is an experience that I would like to share and I won't give out any names but I took students on a field trip. And there was a student once that when we talked about the escalator, they said, what is that? And so we just thought that that was just a vocabulary um, area there. So we, we told them, we described it. And they said, I still, I don't know what that is. And I said, so when you see it, you know, you will know. And when we went, and there's an escalator, lo and behold, you know, they were so excited. And they get very enthusiastic when they learn something new. It's precious. And, you know, they're screaming out, that's it. That's the escalator. I've seen this in a movie once. And then it's, you know, how do you ride this thing? And, you know, am I doing it right and then I, I tell them, you know, not to scare them, you know, tie your shoes and, and don't fall off. And, and, you know, don't let your shoestring get caught or don't get slung. And <laughs> I probably traumatized the poor children. <laughs> but no, I mean, we can take for granted that everybody that's reading our books has the experience. And I'm not saying we have to show every little thing. But if you have a character stepping into a new world especially my science fiction, my fantasy writers, my writers who are writing historical fiction, and our students 
do not have that background knowledge or just that realm of understanding of the world during that time period, that's where you really have to paint these pictures, these elaborate showings, not tellings, in order for the reader to have the worthy experience. And so, you know, and then don't take for granted that just because in our mind we know, like, so for example, I knew exactly, you know, how sweet potato would have felt by going into like a fancy mall for the very first time because I can vividly remember going into this extremely fancy mall with my family and it was just absolutely amazing. It was in Charlotte. I do not know the name of the mall. Um, we had stopped by after a long day at Carowinds and my friend was with me and we went into this mall and it was just marble. Seriously, guys, my mom was like, what is this? Like, this isn't our Fayetteville Mall, you know, that we were used to going to or the Lumberton Mall or even the Florence Mall. Like, I think the Florence Mall is beautiful, but this was just amazing. And the stores, there was just a different socioeconomic status. Um, that it was, you know, the clientele for these stores, and you could see it. You could just feel it. It was a different feel. And when we walked through the mall, I felt absolutely just amazed and out of place. I didn't have this, there was not this air of familiarity about the mall, but it was even more than that. I just felt, you know, why am I here? What's the point of me being here? These stores have even names on them that I don't recognize. Look at the mannequins in these stores. I, I'm sure their 70% off rack is not even going to fit the budget because we always went to the sale racks. And I'm like, you know, we didn't stay long. And I exactly know what I bought in that mall. So this is going to tell you and it's going to date the year and I'm going to have to go look it up. But walking into the store, of course, I go to a bookstore, and I bought a V.C. Andrews book, and I bought Heaven. And my friend and I talked about how we would share the book, which is ridiculous because um, I wanted Heaven back, and I didn't get Heaven back. But I found Heaven later, and I did purchase it. I found it at uh, Goodwill or thrift store. I can't remember where I found Heaven again, but when I found it, I bought it. Um but I remembered buying Heaven there. And that's one of my favorite V.C. Andrews series. Um, more so even, I think, than Flowers in the Attic. And she was very instrumental in my early development as a reader. Like, I could not get enough of V.C. Andrews books. And one day I'm going to revisit all of those because she was magical to me back then. Um, and I want to see what it was that just captured me and I'm probably thinking it's the character development because that's that's my area that's where I feel like I live the most 
but I, I want to see. I want to see what she did because now I'm more of an analytical reader. Like, I'm reading to see patterns. I'm reading for, um, to break down from that author crafting. I do read for entertainment, but I do read, I'm, I'm double dipping here when I'm reading into a book. So, I am interested to go back and explore those. So, that is on my to-do list one day in my life. Not anytime soon because I have a lot of books lined up that I'm reading uh, for the podcast. But I will tell you, like, I can remember the marble, the expanse. I can remember the feeling that I just did not belong. And how do people live these lives like this? What do these people do to be like this, to have this? And we left and I remember my mom, you know, saying, well, I'm glad we went to that mall. It's not going to stay open long. <laughs> and I was like, why? And she was like, because who would be able to shop in there? There's Who could? I mean, it, you're only reaching this certain population. And I wondered if my mom, like, I'd love to know what the mall's name was. So that way, did it stay open? Did the stores last? And then was my mom right? Because my mom was often right. <laughs> Um, but that, you know, those experiences, they shape us, but they all come with, you know, the memories of the visual of what it looked like or what it felt like. The feeling, I think, stays with us. The sounds, the smells, you know, of course, it was so much more. It was noisier. It echoed. It was louder. The Everything was larger. Everything was bigger than than me. And so to be able to describe that, I pulled in from those experiences of my first time being in a mall that was unfamiliar to me. And so that's the thing that I ask for you to do is that step out and imagine you being the character in nature and capture what you see capture what you hear capture what you feel and then turn it into something and so that's where these challenges you know have to be equipped you know i equip you with a challenge but that's where you've got to learn like to take it and put it to whatever it is you're working in so if you're working right smack in the middle of the your newest, you know, horror or mystery or romance, there may be a scene in there, you know, that has them outside, that has them out in nature. I've told you guys, if you listen to the one about my Exorcist series, you know, they have a battle scene in the Pines. And so putting myself out at a nature walk was perfect to capture all of that. And I'm just like, guys, we have a job to do. You know, today, yeah, we're, we, I want us to take pictures and I want us to go out and enjoy the day. But I also need some, some research for my work. So turn this into a research adventure. And if you have an opportunity to take someone along with you, it would be wonderful if you could record what they hear, what they see, 
what they're feeling. Because I think we might be surprised at the sensory experiences that we have that are unique. And of course we would share similar. But the unique undertones of the way that we process and we perceive the world is a gift, I believe, that the Lord has given us that helps shape us And so if you can take someone with you to wherever you can find, so, you know, out in your backyard, at a park, if you can't do the nature, find a store and observe. Find a mall, sit in the corner of a restaurant, find a place that you can be to where people are interacting or that God is interacting with you in nature and capture. But having that person with you and letting them see the experience with you, like challenge them and have them call out loud what it is that's drawing them in to the moment. And then become observers of life, observers of sound, of feeling. And then transfer it back into your work. And so when I was talking to an author and he was saying that he had to describe, you know, his new planet, he did research on, well, what would happen you know, at this planet with these aliens, what would be the natural shape of, you know, this race and what would be their building materials and how would he be able to craft something from nothing, just, you know, poof, it's into existence. And yes, he did a lot of research to find out, you know, elemental properties and what would happen with navigation, you know, navigational forces and gravity and, um, you know, how would it be? What would be the this and that and the other? But he took what he was observing in our world and he put it on its head into that world. And so, whatever it is that you're working on right now, use these techniques to enrich your work so that you are being more of a showman and not a teller. Okay, so I bet you're wondering, like, why did I go in this long, elaborate story about when I went to the magnificent mall (laughs) when I was growing up or remembering the big daddy rabbit from my daddy's experiences at the laundromat with me. The reason why is because that's a way, I mean, and I didn't script that. And so I know that I could have probably done it 10 million times better if I sat and watched the exact word choice and, um, poured over it again and edited it. And I haven't went back and listened to it. Um, but by me describing, I tried to think back at how did that, you know, make me feel, what thoughts, you know, what was I thinking, and talking about, you know, 
imagining that dialogue exchange between my dad and strangers, between my mom and our family about who could live there, who could go to that mall, is it gonna be around? And so if you look back at some tips on what can you do as far as show, not tell, I'm gonna say it again, those five senses, knocking into the description and just making the scene come alive, that's the best way to really, in my opinion, the best way it's not the only way, but it's the best way of allowing your reader to become an active participant because what it does is if you are showing, then that means that the reader comes along with you. Then they start formulating their own images, connections, and you know, making sense of it within their own experience. They're active participants they're like on the stage with you so I want you to think of it like the theater so think of it like when you're you know having your reader explore your scene are they able to get up there and act along with you do you give them the leading role with your protagonist or do you want them just to be an audience member sitting out at the very back, only going because they felt, you know, led into a guilt trip and hoping to hit the exit anytime soon and sneaking their phone out. I mean, we don't want them just to be a passive audience because then we'll lose them. We'll lose their engagement. We'll lose their love of character. We'll lose their champion of the character you know I say that a lot but I, I truly mean that and that's why I hold on to books um, because I'm a character reader I, I want to see what's happening with just this character come on come on give me more give me more if I fall in love with the character so it's important you know that you're building the senses in there that imagery in there making those connections so that way the reader can make their own and then want to actively participate in your book and that's where the showing comes in not the telling and not the passive audience member who really could just kind of care less at that point now another way that you can spice up your show not tell is through dialogue and you'll see you know dialogue to me it's not just hey hey you know we talk about dialogue and and, and what's important what matters in dialogue and if you want to do like today's new like if you watch the the new age work and some of the ya work you know they're building in text messages it's really hard to convey a show in a text message because text messages are meant to be short quick and they can be misinterpreted so can dialogue but you you know people are now on this bandwagon to to try to build text messages in the rich dialogue that you can have between your characters can say so much than it than you could ever tell and so I say the importance of the dialogue is definitely up there as a high priority for you is to really 
you know, comb through your, your dialogue and make sure that it's a showing. It's not just, you know, I'm angry. Well, you're already telling the audience, you're telling your reader that the character is angry. You know, drop the word angry and then it, describe it. And so that way the reader goes, oh my gosh, I know they're angry. <laughs> Look at the word choices that they were using in that sentence. That conveys frustration. You don't have to have the dialogue to say, you know, I'm frustrated with you right now. You know, maybe your character shuts down at the minute of, you know, conflict situations and you've built that pattern. Well, as soon as your character begins to shut down, you're showing the shutdown behaviors. Then the reader goes, there they go again. Why can't they just give this a chance, right? And then they're dialoguing, you know, they're interacting with your character, wishing that they would just go ahead and make some kind of, you know, growth and some shifts here in their communication style. <laughs> so do you see the difference between the showing and the not telling and the dialogue? And then, you know, be careful with your use of adverbs. And it's not to say you can't use them. And, and I do. And I'll say, you know, I'll use a cliche. I'll use an adverb every now and then. But if you are inundated with those, you get to the point where you're just, you know, telling, telling, telling. Or just you're falling back. So if you say, um, let's say that they're escaping from the asylum, okay? So if they're escaping from this asylum and they've got to get out, you know, you don't want to say they started to walk fast. You know, they were fast, you know, or they slowly walked between offices. You know, you want to talk about how they moved and describe how everything was a blur and how, you know, the sounds of their steps were, you know, everything would change if they were, you know, walking fast. And so you don't just have to say, you know, slow or fast or slowly through. So think about ways that you could describe the scene and drop some of those more common, you know, terms that would show, I mean, that would tell, because that tells what they're doing. So those are like three tips that I'm going to leave with you. But, but I would tell you the scene description is the best. And by doing the nature walk or being in your backyard or especially carrying someone along with you um, to have them record theirs and then you get to compare. You get to compare sounds. You get to compare um, thoughts. You get to compare smells. Everything. You, you kind of can capture it in a log. And those observational notes can be very powerful for you when you're writing a scene. And of course, I want to talk and, and bring your kid along with you or, or bring a family member along or a friend with you. So now that the weather is starting to change and it's 50 degrees right now instead of 30, <laughs> I know that I'm going to have a better day. And if, you know, if the boys and I take a, a walk, you know, I'm capturing, I'm talking. And I need to do this exercise with them. 
because now they're in that in middle grades YA. I'd like to see what their experiences are. What are their thoughts when they're out? What are they hearing? What is their perception? So I think it would be a really cool idea to, you know, share this experience, this challenge with anybody, somebody, just to see what they come up with. And you may find that it can add richness to the way that you're describing your scene. So that way you're showing it and you may find something you've missed that you can add in along with, you know, like your observational notes. That way, you know, you're researching the scene. So I'm going to give you a model. Okay, you guys know that I'm in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at work. So I'm going to give you what I'm in living in right now. So if you... If you want to meet what I love about the dialogue, okay, you better read this book if you have it, okay? So I'm not going to just tell you to turn to the last, one of the last chapters, but there's a chapter that's called The Last Night. So you can imagine what this one's going to be about. I love, the kids are like, oh my gosh, can we just keep reading? Why is the bell ringing? Um, so The Last Night, um, that scene in there is so vivid to me that the kids would, would stop and say, wait, what's a kitchen poker? I don't know that word, hurry up. Let's, cause we're doing word replacement strategies where um, we're having to look up words where they're so engaged in the scene development and how the suspense was written in the last night. Robert Louis Stevenson does an excellent job crafting all of that. And he does use the a lot of the dialogue. And so it's between, Poole and Mr. Utterson, and you'll see this exchange between them that makes him go, sounds like it's finally to them a more natural conversation because they have been tripped up a lot by the language, and that's one of the reasons why I choose this book to do with ninth graders because we have to battle through word replacements to teach them they can read anything that's not written in their um, contemporary slang. Let's do this. Let's, let's pull it out. Um, all stops and, and read um, for enjoyment and still understand it. But now that they're there and they're in the last night, they're like, you better hurry up with that word because I don't know what it means. I'm not even wanting to stop now. I just want to see what's happening next. And that excitement was built in the last night. That is a really good chapter to zone in on and analyze because they do description in there and they do dialogue in there and um, the characters are at this intense moment and so that's what you could do like with a scene you know after you've crafted one of these high intensity scenes let's say you've given it um, on the color wheel or you've given it a rating of five or something like that as the highest of an intensity go back in and just make sure that you're showing not telling and put that chapter of Robert Louis Stevenson's book right beside you and read it and read it once more and use it as a model to understand how that framework can be and of course you're going to see figurative language all up and down in that book and that's a part of the unit that we're working on right now so you know it ties right in with my standards of word choice um, really heavily working on standard 9-4 which is the author's use of these words the author's use of events and how those events scaffold and, and lead and build over time 
and though and that is an excellent book to talk about those two standards um, but I think it's helpful for our own writing that when we do find a treasure chapter like that, that we can see how we can apply those same principles into our own work. You know, if you're, if you're nervous about something, if you're anticipating something, you know, there's a whole paragraph in there about, in chapter, in this chapter, I don't know if, I don't think it might be chapter 7, I'm not sure. I don't know the numbers. They don't have numbers listed. All I know is it's near the end of the book. Um, there's a paragraph in there where he is going over to Dr. Jekyll's house. And so, instead of just saying, you know, he was nervous, it does say he's anticipating I can't quote it. I don't have the book in front of me. I'm driving on the way to work. But, you know, he is anticipating because he doesn't know what he's going to find. There's a mystery here because Poole has come to grab him. Um, and it seems like Poole is desperate by his actions. He talks about the scene around him and how does it feel to walk the streets at that time of night and it's so descriptive that you can actually feel almost his heart racing when he doesn't say my heart raced and it's just the word choice and it's just the way that he's showing the reader and you're right there in it and you're imagining it as a movie unfolding and so that's what I hope to accomplish with my writing. You know, some people say, well, what do you want to improve on in your writing? Sure, I know pacing is a big deal, and I've got some great tips about pacing and character pacing. I cannot wait to share with you. Um, but this is something that I want to really hone in on just to make sure that I'm giving, you know, that quality inspection of my work because you know when I go to a restaurant I want to see that it has a hundred percent rating when I'm pulling up to McDonald's and I see that it has a hundred percent rating I'm all for it well one time we went to this this restaurant and oh my gosh y'all we went in we ate that buffet we had sushi it was a sushi buffet we thought we had to hit the dream and when we went to pay it had like a 70% rating and we didn't see it when we walked in and the woman told us, you know, we'll cater for you, even we'll drive for you if you're having a birthday party or a celebration. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this rating. Like, it's a 70. Like, I, I don't ever want to go back there. Um, guys, we ate a buffet and we ate sushi. And so, imagine, you know, the difference that that would have made if it would have been, you know, quality rating. And I don't know what it was about the place. I didn't go and, and dig deeper and look in health reports. But my point in saying that is I want to be that inspector of my own work. So that way when somebody is reading it, they say, gosh, I could revisit that book one day. You know what? I could share this book with a friend. I'm confident enough in this book that I know what it did for me. How it inspired me as a reader i hope that you know i could just give it to as many people as i can let me gift it to somebody let me talk about it every time somebody says what's your favorite top 10 books let it be well in order for us to get to that status people will say well what's the magic the magic is the relationship that your characters build with the reader you know that it's true 
you know, people can scoff me all they want, and I'm fine with that, and I will stand my ground until the rest of my life, but I could read the Twilight series over and over and over again. I can read Pride and Prejudice every single year of my life and never be tired, never never once want to put it down because I say I know what's going to happen next. I could read, I have read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde multiple times. These are like Fahrenheit. I'm excited about reading Ray Bradbury next. He's my next class assignment for whole group reading. I can't wait. And so that's my, you know, that's my take on what's going to make me be the kind of writer that I want like what is a goal that I want to improve on it's being able to pull my readers in not just let them be passive audience hook them in early get them invested painting pictures and and hoping that the way that I've interacted with my characters and how much I love them, hopefully someone else will love them too. Because I love the Bella-Edward relationship. I could connect with Bella and her clumsiness. I could connect with her weakness. I, I saw Bella as having a true, yes, she had character flaws, but it was true to the nature of me as a teenager and my awkwardness and how I felt and so when Bella would feel a certain way I would understand Bella's perspective and so people you know and I have I have not gotten I have not done arguments because guys I do not argue but I have been in discussions with other English teachers who say, no, I couldn't read it. I had to put it down. This was something I, and then you'll look on platforms and you'll see people say, you know, hate me all you want, but I will stand and say Twilight. And I'm telling you that series, especially the Eclipse book, like by the time I got to Eclipse, you know, Breaking Dawn, I, I had some issues with, but by the time I got to the Eclipse book, I was in that. I was I was ready. I was turning, turning. And I'm happy to know that my niece is called Bella. <laughs> but I'm I'm just gonna say, you know, those are some if you've got a book, those are some key points of why is that book, why is it coming back to you? Why is it haunting you? And you say, Gosh, I really want to read this book again. This is on my book of the year. You know, these are my top five books. Evaluate it. And I'm wondering if it's got something to do about you being on the stage in the theater of this author's play, this author's world, and you're acting out on the stage with these characters. And then decide how many of the books that you've put aside. Or that you said, nah, it was all right. Or, uh, it was okay. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't recommend it. Or... Well, no, I didn't really like that book. Is it because you were the reader who was sitting in the back row, sneaking and looking at your cell phone, wondering when this was going to be over? 
And so I think that, you know, finding out what was it about those books and then identifying, was it the showing that the author put in there? Was that the detail? Was that in the character development, in the dialogue? Was the dialogue special? Like, what was it that drew you and kept you so captivated to the point where you want to go to the show again? Because think about how much it costs to go to a show. And knowing that if you had to go to that show, you know, how much you're caught. And I'm not just talking about the price of the ticket. I'm talking about the time that you're giving into going to the show and our busy lives. And if you were there at that show and you were actively participating and you were cheering and, and stepping off the stage and looking back at the end and going, wow, magnificent, you know, applause, applause. Um, if you were doing that, and then you would probably want to go back to the show to see it a second time because then you would want to see maybe you missed something. Maybe you want to experience it again. Maybe with your own growth as an individual and your experiences throughout the year, if you go back the next year and you read it, you'll read it with a different perspective even. I mean, seriously, with a new empathetic reasoning. And so there's a lot of ways that going back to the show is worth it when we find those special books. And so use that as a part of your research too. If you want to take this challenge to the next level, um, I've given you the model of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, it's such a short read, guys. You know, when I'm reading something with my class, it is gonna take longer because we're reading it, we're experiencing it, we're drawing it out, we're acting it out, you know, and I'm fine with that. They're getting the reader experience and I'm hooking them into books that are challenging. Um, I can live with, you know, reading, you know, three books this semester, not four. So, and I'm okay with that. So find, so find Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde if you've never read it before. Um, and just, if, if you don't have time to read the whole thing, skip over. Skip over to the, if you don't want to read it at all, if, this, if the, you know, the horror genre is not for you, just skip over and look for um, the last night and just break that chapter apart without you knowing a single thing that's happening and see how they're um, showing and not telling them there. And it's amazing because the description and the dialogue is all in one spot. And I love that dialogue. I think, I think that's one of my favorite dialogue exchanges um, in the entire book. All right, guys. So I've done these in parts because super busy. Um, and yesterday I did part one of this, which was the storytelling piece. And now these were the tips and what you need to know. Um, I didn't get a chance to go back in last night and do part two. So if I am, if I was a little redundant in what I said, just know that I did these um, edits like two days apart. <laughs> um, my life was like super whirlwindy yesterday. Um, and then after, like I finished homeschool last night at 10.15. And then I was researching for my next interview, which is next week. And I started reading her book. And I got through the introduction. I got 10%. Like that's why I like reading on Kindle because it says, oh, you've done. I look at that stuff. It's so odd. It's like, oh, you've read 10% of the book. And I'm like, well, I have 90% to go before next week. 
Um, but it was really late when I went to bed last night, so good luck for me um, today when I have another busy day ahead and a long one at that. But if I was redundant, that's why. So I'm going to get it, give you the, the, the key of maybe that repetitive language here. Definitely not by choice, but I wanted to give you the story. I knew how I wanted to set it up. I wanted to set it up with the story first so then I could reference um, the mall with the challenge. Like if you go to a busy place, this is what we call it, you know, laundry mat, um, out in nature for my forest scene. And then using a lot of that in your work, I think it's very beneficial to making the scenes become alive and a, and a reader can step right into those. One more thing I wanted to say too, I, I found it interesting that I'm not the only one that thinks that. Um, there are not many youth today that are out in nature. Um, especially like if they're in the cities, okay? And even though we have access to the parks, um, they may not use the bus transportation systems to get them to the parks. Um, their, their families may not take them to the parks, or they may have went once in their life, but it was when they were younger. And I've surveyed students about, the, you know, what do you do for fun? And the going outside is not on the list anymore. It's usually, you know, well, I watch Netflix or I'm on my video game or I'm watching Twitch because um, Twitch is huge right now. So the conversation has changed. Whereas when we were younger, it was, oh, I ride my bike and I'm, I'm playing games and I'm walking the neighborhood with my boombox listening to Beastie Boys. I'm talking about my personal experience. Or I'm creating dances on the front porch with my friends and, and we're making up dance moves. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so glad the recordings were not available back in the day. <laughs> For me to be recorded acting crazy and being put up on, on Facebook, or not Facebook even anymore. That's only for me. Um, Instagram or Snapchat. Because people would have sure got a laugh out of me because I was purely silly. Um, and corny. But... I had a discussion with the author the other day, D.J. Shaw, who wrote the children's book, and it was, you know, the, the child was playing outside, and she said that her son said the same exact thing, that he works with students, and he was saying that. So when we're thinking about creating a scene, if a student hasn't had these experiences, and even in a fantasy world, they haven't had your experiences, they haven't went to your kingdom, or they haven't went to your sci-fi planet, or they haven't went to this area overseas, you really have to be descriptive, and you have to show. Show like they know. Show like they're there. Show so when they do pull up an image or they do watch a documentary or they do connect to the research and they hear it one day, they'll go, oh, well, I remember when I read a fiction book, this author, they must have done a really good job at their research because they have described, you know, the Congo exactly like what I'm seeing here, you know, on this doc documentary or whatever, I could feel like I was there now. And then if they go back and revisit your book after gaining background knowledge and getting their five senses, you know, working, let's say they're out of a nature hike or something, and then they go back and they read it, they say, oh, I really appreciate the word choice. I appreciate that. And another example, I'm reading Hobbit for homeschool. So you see I'm reading two books in a day 
plus I'm reading my independent books. <laughs> so we're almost finished. Thank you, Lord. I'm, I, I Honestly, I did not want to do math and spelling last night because I really wanted to just read, read, read The Hobbit. Um, we're at the very end, and and I just feel like I'm so right there with the dwarves and with Bilbo. I'm like, get to the point, get to the point, skip all this. No, I don't want to hear about this part of the lake men i just i want to get back and then i thought it was hilarious hilarious when tolkien starts the next chapter and it's like clouds of gathering or something i don't remember the exact name of the chapter but it's something like that it's near the end and he's like now let us get back to our story of the dwarves at bilbo and i said see and i just said it the page before i was like see now they know how i feel because you know i didn't need all that i know i did but i didn't i could have experienced it through the dwarves um and so, you know, that's showing that I'm a part of this book. I'm not just sitting on the back row. I'm a reader engaged and excited and wanting to sneak and read the rest of the story. But I don't want to do that to my child. I want us to experience it as we go. That's the beauty of the homeschool experience that we're sitting side by side i'm modeling reading he's reading his and he told me last night mama can you just read one more page i love the sound of the way that you read and he's 11. your children he's in sixth grade your, your children are never ever too old to read with the same way when we were reading the orwell book and we were reading about winston churchill we were reading that together we would read back and forth. Oh, and, and then we would stop and say, okay, this could be a paragraph that you could explore with a comparison. So, you know, and he's 16. You know, read together. And then if you are, use that as a part of your research because what is your other reader experience like? Let them be able to vocalize that with you and share, well, what were they seeing? Did they like that? Why not? Ask them, did they show or did they tell? And see if a reader, especially a younger reader, um, can pick up on those qualities. And then we need to be more acutely aware of them as well. All right, I could talk about this stuff forever. Let me get off of here. But I hope you guys have a blessed day. <laughs> Bye. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.